You're listening to Liberty Buzzard with Dustin Hammett and Thomas Umstead Jr. Episode 11. I'm Dustin Hammett. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. And today we are talking about immigration. But speaking of immigration, I think we have a re-immigrant from the great land Hawaii back uh, back to Texas. Thomas, how are you doing? I am alive. I'm a bit of a zombie. Uh, we were bumped off of our flight returning from Hawaii. So we ended up oh, uh, spending a second day in Hawaii uh, because our flight didn't leave. Uh, or rather, the flight was oversold. I don't normally travel in uh, during travel season because mm. I travel for work typically. Yeah. And tourists, traveling with tourists is a totally different experience. It's absolutely terrible. Everyone... Yeah, because they don't know how to travel. They don't know how to pack. They all have lots of bags, and their bags aren't the standard size. They can't put them in an overhead bin. And the planes, every single plane we were in had every seat full. And so we were just, like, squeezed together. Um, And so on our our way back, I got that night about 15 minutes of sleep. Mm. (laughs) So I did not sleep at all. I did not even close my eyes on the first flight. And on the second flight, I got 15 about 15 minutes of sleep. And so when we're driving, I'm like praying to God that I am drive home safely. Cause the safest part of a trip is not the flight. It's the drive to and from the airport. The most, Far more people yeah, die yeah, exactly. in the car on the way to and from the airport than they do in the entire flying. So how much safer flying is. And so I'm conscious of the fact that it has been 24 hours since I've slept and I have never before or since, well, never before experienced, um, like jet lag nausea, but I was so tired. I threw up. <laughs> oh so, yeah. Oh, yeah. so anyway, last night I slept for 11 hours and I am now, uh, my body is totally confused as to what time it is. I almost feel drunk. Uh, like my, my head is swimming. So this will be an interesting episode. Uh, while I was away, all anyone could talk about when they talked about anything, um, not Hawaii related was how Texas was this place where children were being locked up and separated from their families. And I'm not used to Texas being referred to as like this third world country where these terrible crimes are being committed. But that is definitely the view from Hawaii. So, uh, Dustin, you've been here this whole time. What's been going on? Well, the last time I checked, uh, Chick-fil-A is still running and uh, the grocery <laughs> store is still full of food. And... Uh, well, Austin's kind of looks like a third world country, but you know that's that's a different story, Thomas. The rest of Texas, the last time I checked, and having been to several third world countries, I got to say Texas is not a third world country. This immigration but didn't H E B have to recall all of its bread, an extension of Breadgate. You know, <laughs> I had I the had stores are out of bread. <laughs> But you know what? We we discussed how that was the second coming of the apo- or the, the sign of the apocalypse was Breadgate. So. I don't know. I hadn't read that, but maybe maybe it's true. All this, all this yeasty, over yeasty bread, is is really just a plague. It's a plague of over yeasty bread. <laughs> so, so what has been going on on the border? Oh, who knows? I guess it depends what your news source is. Uh, if you if you if you look if you read, and I've read all of them. If you read the New York Times, what's happening is these poor immigrants are coming over to the United States of America desperately trying to seek asylum from the terrible situations they're in their home countries, Honduras, Nicaragua, Mexico, whatever. And they're being stopped at the borders and these families are being forcibly torn apart. Uh, The children are putting in these large children concentration camps and former Walmart stores and are being terribly abused while the parents go through the criminal process. And once the parents do go through the criminal process, the parents are kicked back. The children are lost in the system, never to be seen again. 
Uh, so who knows? So, you know, that's, that's obviously a little bit of a hyperbole, but it hits the basic points of uh, the left arguments. And then if you read the, the rights argument, the, the Fox News argument, what you'll, what you'll read is the fact that you have all of these people who are breaking the law, trying to come into the country. You have the left, uh, left coaches going down there and coaching them on what to say, how to say it, to make sure they get over the border correctly, to, to claim asylum, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they are basically, uh, they're, they're completely flouting the, the system that we have in place for asylum seekers. And as a result of this, a, uh, some children have been separated from their families. They're being kept in these loving uh, camps, which are total far cry better uh, from the situation they were in. And a lot of these kids weren't with their original parents anyway. They were kidnapped. They're being used as tools for human smugglers. They're being raped, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we're actually doing these a lot of these kids a huge favor. And the number of kids that are uh, uh, truly separated from their from their actual biological parents are are minuscule in number. The truth, Thomas, is somewhere in between. Um, the, the I love this new those era. Arguments. Yeah, go ahead. I love this new era when you can just kind of decide what truth you want to believe. It's like whatever is most convenient. Like if the Fox News narrative makes you feel better, you can watch Fox News. If the CNN narrative makes you feel better, you can watch CNN. And we all get to hear what we want to hear. I am curious, though, what you think is actually going on. What is the Liberty Buzzard take on the situation at the border? Oh, I mean, it's exactly like I said, Thomas. The truth is in the middle. Yes, you do have these immigrants that are pouring in, trying to escape their countries. That's absolutely true because the opportunity, the economics in the United States is really good right now and the opportunities in the states. Uh, I do believe you have leftists going down there and coaching them what to say. I think that's probably true. Um, I think that's a very Saul Alinsky type of tactic, and I believe that it's happening. I have no proof to back that up, but I, I think it's a, a viable tactic, and I think it's actually happening. Um, I also, as a former law enforcement officer, I know that uh, the cartels, this is a cartel problem, and human trafficking, human smuggling has become maybe more profitable than drug smuggling. Um and I, I, you have to understand that the trip that these immigrants are taking is an absolutely excruciating trip. And a lot of these children are being, they are being raped. They are being abused on the trip over here. And when they get into these camps, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain that uh, a lot of these kids are in a better situation than what they were on their, on their journey up here. I mean, it's the truth of both sides is absolutely brutal. And the truth is there's there are no easy answers because are we a nation of laws? Are we a nation of borders? Because if we are a nation, then a nation has borders and you have to control your immigration uh, or you, you start having some serious problems because the system eventually will collapse under the, uh, the influx. And, uh, and, and I'm sad to say there does have to be some type of uh, regulation on the flow of, of, of immigration. There's just no easy answers, Thomas. Um, I think what what yeah. really really I guess intrigue is the world I'll use as as an observer of humanity what intrigues me about this the most is the media you either have left or you have right 
And they're going to go with those narratives. Even the New York Times, which is always, you know, the gray lady, which has always held itself up as a paragon of honest journalism or uh, has, I mean, if, when you when I scroll through the New York Times article, there there is there's no search for the middle. It's all, you know, this is the line we're taking and, you know, immigrants are being abused and this is this is the way we're going. There's there is no search for the middle. Uh, and I, the same I feel thing like the, the right. New York Times. Yeah, I feel like the New York Times in recent years has really gotten off of trying to be that middle voice. Uh, what killed it for me in terms of respecting their journalistic integrity actually happened very recently because I had a relatively high opinion of the New York Times until they quoted Trump as saying that immigrants were animals. When he clearly, if you look at the context of what he was saying, he was talking about specifically a certain gang. I think it was M13. MS13. Modest Abastrucha 13. Yep. Yeah. MS13, whose tagline is raping and stealing uh, and killing, I think is like their tagline. And I don't know if, if an organization has that as their tagline. That's pretty animal-like behavior. They are not leaning in on the higher elements of human nature for sure. And I don't feel like calling a group like that animals is that out of range. And to say that, oh, he was saying that all um, immigrants are like this uh, was really just mis misrepresenting what was said. Not to say that, you know, I agree with Trump's position, but I am a big fan of truth. And it's like, if you're going to quote him or misquote him, you need to quote him correctly. And the New York Times didn't seem to be very apologetic for like, oh, yeah, sorry, we lied about what the president said. Yeah, they're not apologetic. And uh, so that's what. Yeah. See, if they had printed a retraction and made an effort and printed the retraction as loudly as they said the thing, then maybe I would give them some uh, some points there. But here's what's interesting about this immigration problem. The immigrants, from what I understand, aren't really coming from Mexico. I think our net immigration from Mexico is is basically zero right now. We have about as many people coming as we have people going back. The people who are coming through are who are coming in right now are coming through Mexico, specifically from places like El Salvador and Guatemala. And um, part of the reason why people are leaving those states is because those states have these terrible gang problems, where gangs are extorting money from people and killing people and blowing up buses. And you know where those gangs came from? Tell me, Thomas. In the 1980s, we had a real problem with gangs in L.A. And so instead of fixing the problem with our gangs, we just deported these entire gangs en masse and as a unit to countries like El Salvador and Guatemala. And we basically exported an insurgent army into those countries. And those gangs did in those countries what they had been doing in this country. And now they're <laughs> so coming back. They're like, oh, it's... Yeah, so well, not they're not coming back. They're chasing all of the population away, and the the population is being chased back. And I was like, that seemed like a good idea at the time. I guess I was like, oh yeah, these people are yeah, immigrants anyway. Maybe illegal immigrants will just you know deport them in mass. But here's a principle: you don't want to beggar thy neighbor. If you make your neighbor very poor. Uh, it doesn't end up helping you. We are pro we prosper when our neighbors are prosperous, and we fall when our neighbors fall. You want your neighborhood of the world to be a wealthy, stable neighborhood, and destabilizing already unstable countries wasn't a good play. 
And and so a lot of people are like, oh, this isn't our fault. You know, it's because these countries have got such terrible crime problems and such terrible economic problems. Because it's really hard to foster economically when there's a gang that's going to come in and just kill you and steal your money, right? That's not a great context to foster small business. <laughs> it's like, who wants to build a factory in a place where a gang might just burn it down? And uh, we created that problem. Now, I don't think the solution necessarily is to import the entire population of El Salvador into the United States or even the suffering part of that population. Um, but I do think that we owe it. I'm not a big fan of intervention, uh, but I do feel like we owe it to these small countries where we created their gang problem to help them fix it. It's like, oh, yeah, sorry about giving you those 500 trained and lethal gang members who now run a gang of tens of thousands of people. Sorry about that. We'll uh, we'll help you fix it. Uh, but I don't hear anyone proposing that as a solution. Everyone is talking about what um, we should do with the symptom, which is the people fleeing here. If if El Salvador was prosperous, and I'll tell you, Mexico is prospering. And because Mexico is prospering, people are not coming here from Mexico. They're, you know, the life they have here and the life they have there is pretty close. There's not enough of an advantage to their life in America to make it worth the effort to come here. And that's why we don't have a flood of Mexican immigrants. And all we have to do is help El Salvador and Guatemala prosper and people will want to stay there. <laughs> it's not that, you know, all things being equal, people want to live in their own homes and they just need to have a chance at prosperity. And one of the things that could help make them prosper other than solving their crime problem, free trade if we bought their stuff. <laughs> so maybe uh, not so many trade barriers, uh, maybe, you know, make, encourage them to sell us stuff there, encourage American businesses to start factories there. And people would want to live there and work there. You know, Thomas, you brought up, excuse me, you brought up an interesting point. First, I'm going to say I, I don't agree with you that we should somehow interject ourselves into solving their problems. My military experience and my reading of history only goes to show that you cannot, I mean, you can help where help is requested, but you cannot force a people out of a bad situation. Uh, whether that's Iraq, whether that's Afghanistan, uh, even in the early part of the 20th century when the United States Marine Corps uh, was engaged in what has been termed the Savage Wars of Peace, you know, the Banana Wars in Nicaragua, Nicaragua Panama, Haiti, um, you know, that was that was back in the early part of the 20th century. How much good did we really do? Um, you know, there's a lot of argument made that we were only there to protect American business interests. And there's probably there's a great deal of truth to that. Um, however, I don't think that sending troops over there, sending our national treasure over there is really going to solve the problem. I think any improvement in the situation based on my experience, based on based on my knowledge of history has to come from within. And uh, based on your point, or what you said about MS-13, you know, we made MS-13. And I have to go back and I'll have to research this a little bit more. Because fr from what I remember, uh, based on my reading on the topic, was not so much that we made MS-13. I think MS-13 uh, originated in uh, El Salvador. That's an El Salvadoran gang. Um, I do think that they came up here uh, as immigrants and they... When the immigrants were put for, for committing crimes, were put into the prison population, especially the Salvadoran immigrants, were put into the po prison population in California, where the prisons are really nasty, I'll uh, say as a by the way, I think they thrived. And I think they took, uh, I think they went to criminal criminal college there in, in the prisons. 
And I think they thrived in that environment. And when those people were released and they were subsequently deported, they went back home, they took their knowledge and they made the gang uh, about a billion times worse. So from my understanding of history is that you were partly right, but I'm not entirely sure I agree with you that the gangs originated here in the United States. The gangs that did originate here in the United States, the Crips, the Bloods, uh, the Latin Kings, et cetera, et cetera, I think educated MS-13 into what it is today. And it's quite possibly one of the, aside from the Zetas, which is a cartel, one of the most brutal gangs uh, in the United States is MS-13. I mean, there's some scary people. They're nihilists. Uh, They have zero moral uh, qualms about doing anything to anybody. And it's absolutely scary. They have, they have no standards whatsoever. Um, Um. So a couple of things. One, according to Washington Post, because I've been Googling while you were talking, uh, MS-13 was founded in Los Angeles, as was Barrio 18, amongst uh, refugees from El, El Salvador. Uh, and then when we deported them, that's what moved them outside of the United States. So they were a American gang first. But I'm curious what I your solution corrected. is. Well, assuming we believe the Washington Post, yeah. which I will say you have to hold that with an open hand. And I just read this one paragraph out of this long article. So who knows Who knows what the truth actually is? But um, what do you think the solution is? So, so I would say I agree. I don't think sending troops necessarily is the solution. Uh, although if they asked for it and if there was a way to do it well and quickly and easily, maybe, but it never ends up being quick and easy. Um, what do you think the solution is allowing us to say extradite um, these gang members back to the United States? How do we, how do we um, help El Salvador become a place that people want to stay? You know, I wish I had a great idea. Uh, I, I wish I had a better solution. First of all, you hit the nail on the head when you said that business is not going to thrive there as long as there's uncertainty, as long as there's chaos. That's me paraphrasing you. It's absolutely true because what we both know as, uh, as, as an entrepreneur, an aspiring entrepreneur on my side, is that business thrives in, in, in certainty. Uh, business thrives in nations and nation states where there are strong property uh, strong property laws and codes and values and mores related to the possession of property and also where there's a great deal of certainty because you cannot have an efficient exchange of capital or production of goods where there's not certainty. So introduction of certainty in those in, in those nations is first and foremost extremely important. Now the problem therein being is it is so chaotic right now that usually in a chaotic situation right there is, you know, the, the pendulum swings of humanity, right? You have a pendulum swing to complete chaos and it tends not to swing and stop at the center, right? The pendulum tends to swing as far as it has gone to the left. It tends to swing to the right. So what's the answer to that? Is you have uh, an absolute autocratic, disgusting, dictatorial type of person who is going to bring that nation under control. That I think is historically what has happened. And I fear that is what will happen. Um, I can't say for sure, but you know, that's, that, that's typically what happens. And is that the right answer? I don't know. I just think that's, I think based on humanity, that's what's going to happen. You don't often see democracies rising from chaos. Typically, the cycle of history is you have chaos that leads to autocracy, and then the autocracy leads to democracy. 
and then democracy leads back into chaos. That's the kind of cycle. So the, you know, when we formed the, our constitutional republic, we did it in a context of being self-governing already. It's not like we were subjects of the king, you know, for hundreds of years in America and he was running our lives. And then suddenly we fought a war. You know, we had already had assemblies in the various states and the various colonies had assemblies and they were writing their own laws and living, you know, governing themselves. And it was out of that context that we then decided to be like, hey, maybe we don't have to pay taxes anymore. You know, these few laws that the king is trying to give us, maybe they're not such a great idea. Um, let's be independent. Uh, it's it's. I can't think of an instance where you have democracy coming out of chaos. I'm kind of going through my mind. And so I don't, so hoping that suddenly El Salvador becomes, you know, more democratic, maybe isn't the, the answer. Maybe they'll be happier under some sort of benevolent ruler. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I hate to wish that on anyone, but I also hate to wish the tyranny of, of chaos, which is what they have now where there's, uh, the state doesn't have a monopoly on force, right? And, you know, MS-13 has more force, arguably, definitely exerts more force on the population than their own government does. You almost could say that MS-13 is the government of El Salvador, not the El Salvadorian government. And if you look at it as who has the force, who has the right to make life and death decisions over the population, right? Who's killing the most people? <laughs> and it's definitely MS-13 is killing the most people. And... um yeah, I feel like there needs to be some solution. Like, I, I feel like we can't be like, oh, well, you know, it'll work itself out. Uh, and maybe it will, you know, if we have enough. Because what well, one thing that will happen is if we bring in enough immigrants, they'll send money back to their families. And that might stimulate the economy well enough where then people want to stay. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of what we did to Europe in the 1800s, right? We yeah, brought in sure. millions yeah. and millions of people. And to your point at the beginning of being like, oh, we can't handle all this immigration. Oh, I don't think that's true. We were able to handle millions of immigrants when we were a really small country and didn't have computers, right? During Ellis Island, they had typewriters, and we processed a million people every year, or two million people, I think, at the peak every year. That's more than we bring in now, and that was with a country at the time that was a fraction. I think but our I country think the context is different there, Thomas. So, I mean, you're talking about the early part of the century. And I want to make clear, I am not anti-immigrant. Both of us are products of immigrants um, over here in the United States. But the Ellis Island analogy, you're talking where, you know, I had a, my, my, my maternal side of my entire family came over in the early 1900s through Ellis Island and through Galveston, which is, which is the same process. It was, it was a nation whose population wasn't splitting at the seams. As a matter of fact, we needed those immigrants to fill out our workforce. Now, can the argument be made that we need those immigrants to fill out our workforce today? I'm willing to listen to that argument. Honestly, I really don't know. And my worry is not so much that we can't support the numbers. Uh, my worry is, is purely in a law enforcement type of mindset where uh, you are exactly right. We have the the MS-13 or whatever type of cartel infrastructure, and they can pierce the veil of the, you know, the quote unquote, quote unquote border at will. What type of lawlessness does that bring to our nation? Because going back to uh, being a nation of laws, which contributes to certainty, which contributes to business. As soon as we, as soon as we lift the veil of that uh, illusion of safety, I think we started having problems of our own. Um, am I being alarmist? Is it, is it, I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm willing to uh, you, you know, listen to arguments the other way. 
But I think we have to start as a nation of laws. You are invited over here, certainly. But you know, you just we can't we can't have a porous border. So uh, a couple of thoughts. One, from my understanding, and I heard some stats on this, and I don't remember where, immigrants and illegal immigrants are some of the most law-abiding people, especially illegal immigrants. They're terrified to break any law because the punishments for them are so severe. And so they tend to keep their noses really clean. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not all criminals, and there's you know a lot of criminals in their midst, but as a percentage of the population, they're actually a pretty law-abiding uh, percentage from my understanding. Now I will say we totally have room for more people. So let me give you a population breakdown in the United States by time zone to give you an idea of how much room we have. Almost 50% of the entire American population lives in the Eastern standard time zone. So there's 150.2 million people in Eastern standard time. So we colonized that first. That's where we built most of our cities. Then 29% of the population, 92.3 million are in central time. Uh, a big piece of that is Texas, actually, which is interesting. And then the next biggest time zone is the Pacific time zone. And that has only 53 million people. It's only 16% of the population. We have an entire time zone, mountain time zone, that is basically empty of people. The entire mountain standard time zone has only 21 million people. It's 6.3% of the population. And the reason for that is that in a lot of those states, the government never gave the land away. The government still has the land that's not being put to any use by anyone. And um, I think in like Colorado, the government owns like 60% of the land. In some of these other states, the government owns as much as 70% of the land. So normally we are like manifest destiny. We're filling the nation, right? We're building cities. And then suddenly we stopped. And we stopped because we skipped over mountain time zone because we found gold in California. <laughs> so nobody, nobody colonized. There's whole states that are empty. Like the Nebraskas have so much room to prosper and while still protecting the environment. And I would love to have immigrants come here and start new populations. And I will say, you know, we've aborted 50 million babies, right? And so we have this 50 million person hole in our economy that if we bring in 50 million immigrants, that doesn't add or advance us. That just fills the hole we've already created through abortion. We'd have to have another 50 million to even start, uh, you know, populating the mountain time zone. And even with another 50 million people, it still has half of what we have in the Eastern Standard Time Zone. So it's like we have a lot of room in this country uh, for more people, from my understanding of the numbers. So I guess the question then is... <laughs> Why is the mountain time zone not getting filled up? Is it well, because there's no land? Just, if the government it, won't give the land to people. Like you can't move somewhere if there's nowhere to move. And if the government ho- owns an entire county, how do you move to that county? Like there's nowhere to are we go. Talking about state government? Or are we talking about federal government ownership F- of the federal land? federal government? So as a Texan, this is hard to understand because when we joined the union, we gave zero land to the federal government. So if it wanted to build a military base, it'd have to buy it from the ranchers that were there. But with the other states, the government owned 100% of the land at first, and then it kind of divvied it out. So like in Oklahoma, they had the boomers and the Sooners, and there was just a flag on the ground. And the first person to get to the flag who, and yanked it, that was their land, right? It was just- I saw that movie. <laughs> right. But they- Tom never- Cruise and uh, Nicole Kidman back exactly. in the good old days. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they never did that in Nebraska. There was no boomers and Sooners. The whole counties never were populated by a single person or hardly anyone at all. And uh, unless, you know, the pioneers who got there before the federal government did back when it was a territory. And 
And no one ever talks about this as an opportunity. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I'd love to see uh, the Mountain Time Zone pl- prosper. I'd love to see some more cities built. How many cities are in Mountain Time Zone? In terms of major cities, it's only one and a half cities. You have Denver, and then you have Phoenix half the time, because Phoenix is only in Mountain Time Zone half the time. And it's in a, it's in a desert. Arizona is not exactly where the prospering is going to happen. <laughs> I think they may be at, you know, cl- approaching max uh, populations. But there's other parts that are much more fertile. Well, and I think I think you kind of made a point, uh, the, the point that I was going to make about the mountain time zone not populating. It's not because the land isn't there. I think it's just because nobody wants to live in South Dakota, Thomas. <laughs> it's really cold in South Dakota. I think that's, I mean, and you have great farmland up there in the summer, but nobody wants to live there. There's no opportunities there. So where are the immigrants naturally going to go? They're naturally going to flock to the cities, right? They're going to go to where the perception of the jobs are. They're going to go where their family is. They're going to go to Austin. They're going to go to Houston. They're going to go to Dallas. They're going to go to San Diego. They're going to go to Los Angeles. And then they'll filter through throughout the United States from there. Um, you know, is, is there, is there theoretically quote unquote room for people to go? I don't disagree with you whatsoever. Um, I, I don't disagree with you whatsoever, but is, I think, I, I think you oversimplify the problem when you say, well, there's, there's room for everyone. I think, um, you know, people being people, they're naturally going to go to where the population centers already are. And my concern is not so much that we don't have enough room for people over here in the United States. Um, and, you know, I don't know when the last time a city was founded here in the United States was, but I, I would venture to guess it's, it's been a long time. So, you know, we, we can talk about whether the government needs to found another city in South Dakota or not. But uh, I see, especially in the city of Austin, I already see an infrastructure problem. Um. You know, right now, there seems to be plenty of jobs to go around. And that's fine as long as that's true. But we all know the economic cycle, right? And what happens when that's no longer true? Eventually, these cities' infrastructures are going to be, they're going to be stressed. They're going to be stressed to the limit. And I think that's the type of instability that I fear, is when you have the next Great Depression, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Uh, That's just the economic cycle. The pendulum swings. When you have that, of as these population centers grow and they grow and they grow, and that's where the Im- the immigrants are attracted to, like magnets. What's going to happen when when the when the economy goes downhill? And that's the kind of economic instability that I'm concerned about. So here's my solution because I want to talk solutions on this show. Uh, we found a city in Wyoming because right now Wyoming has no cities. The entire population is less than the population of Austin, Texas. In fact, it's the entire population of Wyoming is half the population of Austin, Texas. And we allow in immigrants and they have to live here for seven years before they can become a citizen. And they have to live in this city in Wyoming. So for seven years, they have to live there. After those seven years, they're a citizen. They can go anywhere they want. But during those seven years, they'll want to stay because they'll have built a city and we'll have, you know, regular Americans going there too. And we'll create a city where there was none. And suddenly Wyoming, which right now isn't doing nothing for nobody, (laughs) right? When was the last time your company sold something to somebody in Wyoming? Probably not because it's not an economic driver for the country because no one lives there. We'll have another prosperous state and everybody wins. That's my solution. That's it. I mean, I, I think your heart's in the right place, but I would think you'll find that is if the industry is not there, then are you going to force industry to go there? Are you going to build the infrastructure beforehand? You know, 
Uh, now we're talking about government meddling into a problem which you know the, the the market should be deciding. Right now, I think you'll see that the poverty level in Wyoming is already above average for a large portion of the entire state because there is no industry, because there are no jobs. I think uh, I have to look this up and maybe I'm thinking of a different state, but I think it's Wyoming. Poverty level is pretty high. Um, and you want to talk about mean incomes and and, and, and comparisons to middle class, uh, lower class, et cetera, et cetera. I think Wyoming's pretty pretty low on the list. So, you know, as, as a potential solution, I see where you're going. I just, I, I get scared. And I think on an idealistic level, I think your heart's in the right place. But I fear that anytime you have a government solution to a problem, it's going to go seriously sideways because God knows the government isn't good at anything um, except for making things terrible. Um, <laughs> so I think while, while, you're, while your heart's in the right place, I just don't think it's going to turn out the way you think it's going to turn out. Industry is going to flow where industry is going to flow. And unless you want to risk becoming a, a state-run um, type of business society, which you know I think we've all seen how bad that that works out, I, I don't I don't know if that idea idea is gonna idea is gonna gain foothold. All right. Well, we want to know what you think. What's the solution to the immigration problem? Uh, do we need more people? Do we need fewer people? How do we handle the border? Let us know. You can leave a comment on the show at libertybuzzard.com forward slash 11. And thanks uh, to those of you who have left comments already. It's very fun. And also, I should throw this out there. Uh, we are on iTunes now, and we would love some reviews. Right now, we have zero reviews on iTunes. And so if you would leave us a review on iTunes, uh, it would help more people uh, discover the show, and we would really appreciate it. I'm Thomas Umstadt. I'm Dustin Hammett. And you've been listening to Liberty Buzzard. <laughs>